You can be in like the worst mood and we come out here and you laugh. You like giggle right as I do the intro. <sighs> okay. Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. I almost like went to go say something. I'm like, there's, I don't say anything after that. Nope. <laughs> Your job is done. Johnny Depp trial restarts tomorrow. Who's ready? Who's watching? So I will be back to covering the Johnny Depp trial on Instagram stories at a stranger danger podcast. If you want to follow along. Well, tomorrow is Monday. So today, if they're listening today, today, if you're listening, yes, yes. we're recording on Sunday. So, okay. Ready? Yeah. We'll just dive right in. So today I am going to be covering the case of Johnny Lewis, who listeners might recognize from Sons of Anarchy. I have not I, watched it. Me neither. That. Okay, Perfect. okay, good. Yeah. Like, don't be You're mad like, at me. Oh no, I ruined another one. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. My uh, coworker was telling me the other night, she was like, so I was listening to your um, your pirates episode and I was like, she's telling the story of pirates. Like she's telling the plot line of pirates. And I kept listening and I was like, Fatina doesn't know that she's telling the story of pirates. <laughs> and she was like, it was becoming so obvious. And I was like, why is she not picking up on it? And then it came out that she never watched it. And I was like, yeah, imagine how I felt. <laughs> I share that shock. Oh, as an update, I have not watched it. Still so, haven't watched nope. it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to have a movie night. Life's been real crazy the last couple of weeks, you know? Life is always crazy. Yeah. Okay, so Jonathan Kendrick Lewis was born on October 29th of 1983. He grew up in North Hollywood and Sherman Oaks, California. Okay. His parents were Michael and Devonna Lewis, and he was the middle child. His parents, I, I read that they were Jewish, but practicing Scientologists. Oh. A rabbit hole that you love. Yes. Yeah. So this story will not have much to do with Scientology Damn at all. It. <laughs> um, but just know they were practicing Scientologists. Uh, they were actually at the highest level of Scientology that one can achieve, which is called Operating Thetan. I'm not claiming to know a lot, like everything about Scientology, but I mean, I can tell you that they're in the Sea Org, which is... Yes, I know they're one in the same of that. Yeah. Or... Um, or it's abbreviated as OT8. Okay. With a Roman numeral eight, mm -hmm. not just the letter or the number eight. So Johnny grew up practicing Scientology himself and practiced it for most of his life. He actually starred in some of the training videos. Oh. AKA the brainwashing videos. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> for Scientology. And he left the church ultimately when he was 20. Okay, that's pretty young. Good for him. Yeah. So he got out. Yeah. But his parents stayed part of the church. He... You're prior... pronouncing church weird. It's like church. cult. Oh. <laughs> Pronounce cult. Cult? <laughs> I'm joking. What it's did not I... a church. It's a cult. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know when you said cult, I in my brain it, it spelled out C-O-L-T. And I was like, how does a cult... Like Scientology cult. What does a baby horse have to <laughs> no, do with cult. church? <laughs> That's literally in my brain how it registered. <laughs> Go cult. Uh, Sorry. Okay. So he left the cult when he was 20. Um, prior to him leaving, he when he was about 18 is when he began pursuing acting seriously. But he had done acting up until this point. Oh, okay. 
So he was in the acting, tra- he was acting in the training videos or whatever, but his mom had also started taking him to auditions starting at six years old. So he had had roles on shows like Seventh Heaven, Drake and Josh, Malcolm in the Middle. So he had made guest appearances on these shows sure. throughout his upbringing. Like his childhood. Yeah. He did commercials. Um, as he got older and when he decided that he was going to pursue it seriously as an adult, starting about 18 years old, he started landing roles like, uh, raise your voice, which apparently he co-starred in with Hillary. No, hopefully I remember this correctly. See, here's, here's where things go wrong. I try and recall in my brain where I got that information from. And then I start saying things like the Cape of Good Hope is off of (laughs) India when it's actually South Africa. So, yeah. It happens. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm doing my best. (laughs) It's only so much you can remember when you bullet point. Like, I know I bullet point. I bullet point. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm like, I'll remember that. And then. Right. I remember wrong. He also got roles on Smallville. No, I remember that show. And then the OC. Oh. So kind of smaller guest roles, things like that. Um, But things were picking up. And the role that he was most known for was his role as Kip Epps, who went by the nickname Half Sack on Sons of Anarchy. The nickname was because his character lost a testicle while serving in Iraq. Half Sack. So he went by Half Sack. Wow. <laughs> this is like semen all over again. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, his time came to, uh, or his time on the show came to an end in 2009. His character was written out of the show. He was ultimately stabbed to death in the show. But it was his decision to leave. Uh, Kurt Sutter, who was the the creator, the creator of the show, uh, he said his character as Halfsack was very popular and they didn't want to actually write him out of the show. But Johnny had decided that he wanted to exit. He had told his dad that the storylines were getting too violent. And that's oh. not what he wanted to portray as an actor, artist, whatever it may be. He was very into poetry, theology, philosophy. Like he saw himself more as an artist uh, and was very aware of what he wanted to portray hmm. to the world. So he decided that Sons Fanarchy no longer matched his, where like his, his heart path. and soul was yeah. at. And so he decided that they were going to part ways. Like make love, not war type of guy. Exactly. Yeah. Which becomes very ironic down the road. Okay. <laughs> so Johnny decides he's going to leave. Now, before that, he kind of had risen a little bit more in the game, if you will. He dated Carrie pa- K- Katy Perry. He dated Katy Perry from 2005 oh. to 2006. Um, so got a little bit of notoriety during that time as a couple. And then in 2009, he began dating an actress named Diane Gaeta. And they found out that they were pregnant. Mm. So they were going to have a baby, uh, but they split in 2010 before their daughter was born. They ended up still living together because they wanted to co-parent and raise their daughter together. But that didn't end up working out. Things quickly blew apart there. And they disintegrated to the point where they ended up in a really hostile custody battle. Weird. That Johnny ultimately ended up losing. Hmm. So lost custody of his daughter. And then... 
that kind of like was the catalyst for things going very downhill very quickly. So 2010, he loses the custody battle for his daughter. And then on October 30th of 2011, the following year, he is involved in a high speed motorcycle accident. He's riding a triumph motorcycle Mm -hmm. and hits his head pretty hard. So he's hospitalized and they release him after determining he doesn't have a concussion or anything like that. Weird. Yeah. But his dad said that he started acting very erratic, very strange. And he's like, okay, we need to really figure out, like, did something more happen here? So his, <laughs> his dad schedules two different MRIs and Johnny refuses them. Okay. He's like, nope, not going to go and have those tests done. And his dad's like, no, like, you probably have pretty significant head trauma here. We need right. to see what is going on. You need to go have these MRIs done. And let's gauge what the damage is. And Johnny kept blowing off the tests. After that, he starts acting even stranger. So his dad begs him to get psychiatric help, which is kind of outside of the Scientology world for them to want any type of outside medical psych assistance or anything like that but i mean kudos to dad for prioritizing his son over Mm -hmm. the church slash cult good (laughs) right because i from what i think i know is i think they have like their own medical system within the church Yeah. yeah again johnny keeps refusing he doesn't want psychiatric help he doesn't want anything like that so things continue to go downhill On January 3rd of 2012, this is just a couple months after the accident, he decides that he's going to go for a walk wearing just his pajama bottoms and a t-shirt. Okay. Yeah, casual. He says that he hears somebody yelling in a neighboring unit. I think the parents, I don't know if he's living with his parents at this point or something like that within like the church or a condo or something like that, but it said in a neighboring unit. Uh, He says that he heard somebody yelling, so he broke into that person's unit to check and make sure that they were okay. Okay. But when nobody was home, he didn't leave. He was just, like, hanging out. So he lingered there long enough for two men to come home and find Johnny in their house. He had broken in. He'd broken in, and he was hanging out in his pajamas. (laughs) And they were like, you gotta leave. And then all hell broke loose. A fight ensues. Johnny grabs a Perrier bottle. Is that how you pronounce that? Perrier? Mm -hmm. Okay. He grabs a Perrier bottle and begins beating them with it. This bottle. The hell? Beats the crap out of them with this bottle and uh, ends up being arrested and charged with assault with a deadly weapon, trespassing, and burglary. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. So he is incarcerated. That escalated super quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Again, the irony here is this, like, the person that he is and what he wants to portray as a nonviolent person ends up going downhill here very quickly. Mm. While he's in jail, he's placed on a psych hold for three days. Or, I'm sorry, three days into his jail time after he's arrested, he's placed on a psych hold for 72 hours. He's discharged from the psych hold when his dad bails him out i cannot talk today (laughs) discharged from the psych hold when his dad bails him out and on his discharge paperwork it says that he has blunt head trauma and he is suicidal damn so he pled no contest to the charges but 
Upon being released back into his parents' custody, they said that he became skittish, wouldn't let anybody near him, wouldn't let anyone touch him. He became very sensitive to light, which is a mm. pretty big indicator of head trauma. Concussion, yeah. To well, the trauma, point, yeah. Yeah, to the point um, where he actually disabled the fuse box oh, for shit. anybody to be able to turn on any lights in the house. Damn. And he had two black eyes when he was released, just like an absolute mess. During that time, also, a couple weeks after he was released, tried to slit his wrists. Oh, wow. And luckily, his parents were able to intervene and stop that from happening. Six weeks later, after the original arrest, he was arrested again, this time for breaking into a woman's home. He said that he thought it was his friend's house. What? Yeah. Just like a quick PSA to all of my friends, please don't break into my house. And lock your doors. Yeah, but, like, don't break into my house. Yeah. Yeah. You like, do not have permission. Friends don't want friends to break and enter. Like, it's just, we don't want that. So, yeah, he was like, oh, I, I thought it was, um, I thought it was my friend's house. Again, he pleads no contest. The probation officer that's assigned to his case says that he is spiraling. Not only is he a danger to the community, but they believe that he's a danger to himself. Right. And super concerned about Johnny's well-being. Um, his friend said his memory had become very scattered. He was incoherent, seemed very disturbed. In fact, there was a quote. His friend came and drove him to, I think he either picked him up or dropped him off. I think he picked him up from a court hearing. And when he picked him up from the court hearing, he said, quote, he had a look I've only seen in disturbed veterans of war. His memory was scattered. He vacillated between basic lucid conversation and incoherence. Oh. Which is interesting that. That's scary. He would become that thing. I've He had a look that I've only seen in disturbed veterans of war. Right. Like that's such a, that's such a comparison to draw. Right. That. Things were very much not well right. here. Like someone that's jumpy and, you know. PTSD. PT yeah. Yeah. But to say disturbed veterans right. like that, that's a lot of trauma. Yeah. He was prescribed medication for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, but he refused to take them. And it was interesting that he was prescribed these medications because, again, he was refusing any type of psychiatric treatment. So he had no official diagnosis. Oh, weird. Yeah. So the fact that they're just like prescribing him ads are like, let's try this. Oh, <laughs> here's some drugs. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. But he did the whole thing where he would like put him in his cheeks, spit him out type oh, thing. Oh, God. Make yeah. sure that nobody was aware that he wasn't taking him. So his dad was like, okay, so you have this head trauma from this accident. You also got into a fight, mm -hmm. which probably has some more head trauma with it. He said in jail, his son would beat his head against concrete. Oh God. So there's more head trauma. And he's like, he's obviously not well. Like there are some serious issues yeah. going on here. Untreated, undiagnosed. Yeah. So as part of him pleading no contest, his attorney asked that instead of serving jail time, that he be admitted into treatment for... First, they wanted him admitted, admitted into treatment for marijuana. And they're like, no, that's no, not. That's not enough. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, let's do alcoholism. And he was like, OK. So he faked being an alcoholic to get into treatment as a dual diagnosis patient. So somebody mm. that is suffering from both addiction and a mental health disorder. 
mental health. Yes, he fits right. all the marks, but he said that he was faking his alcoholism in order to qualify for the program. Weird. So he became much more stable while in treatment. They granted it, obviously. So he became very stable. His emails sounded coherent. He was able to articulate himself well again. He just seemed to be, he was taking accountability for it. He insists that he picked up the Perrier bottle for self-defense reasons. Where I'm like, dude, you were in their house. Right. Um, but still was like, I know that my actions landed me here and I really want to do better. So he was granted outpatient provisional treatment in August of 2012. They were like, you're good to go. That never ends well. But he was still, like, facing hard time for the assault. Oh, that's right. Okay. He ended up firing his attorney because his attorney was like, the self-defense thing isn't going to work. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, well, if you don't like my defense, then you can get lost. So he fires his attorney and then decides that he's going to represent himself. Oh, God. <sighs> don't do that, people. He thought that in representing himself, he would just get time served and no. be good to go. Um, he ended up being sentenced to a year, oh. which still, like, I feel like he did pretty well in that. Well, that's pretty good. But he was ultimately released due to overcrowding on September 21st. So he only spent less than two months actually in jail. But during those two months, there was a marked change in his demeanor. So for mm. somebody that was doing really, really well in treatment, no longer doing well. Uh, reports say that he suffered a severe change to both his health and spirit. Mm. So he became, he had lost weight. His hair was always erratic. He always looked a little unhinged. He had started becoming incoherent again, babbling, all those things. So he, like I said, was released on September 21st. And on September 26th, which is just five days later, 911 is called. Uh oh. To report two dead bodies. <gasps> the first of the dead bodies was a woman named Catherine Davies. She was 81 years old and she went by Miss Kathy. Oh, that's. Oh. So Miss Kathy was Texan. She had moved to California in 1950. She had gone to school at the UCLA and had worked publishing jobs before she married her husband. They had a daughter together and they purchased a house that she ended up eventually turning into a. Er, er, I was going to say Airbnb. <laughs> oh my gosh. A B&B, a bed and breakfast. <laughs> Pre-air. Eventually they got divorced. She became a very successful real estate agent. She was very good at it. And she used that house to actually like house clients who were in from out of town house hunting. To look for, yeah. Yeah. So they would oh, stay at her smart. house while they house hunted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get the whole package experience yeah, with her as your that's realtor. pretty smart. They described her as lively, quick-witted. Uh, she operated the bed and breakfast later on and called it Writer's Villa. Hmm. It was a bed and breakfast for upcoming actors, producers, and filmmakers once she left the real estate world. So anyone that was in the Hollywood business could come and actually rent a room from her for Just however focus. long. Her rent prices were steep, <laughs> even in today's money. They were steep. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she provided everything for them. And right. the, people loved staying with her because she, like, understood the industry. She was super nice, like, sweet old lady. Who didn't yeah. want to help her right. out? And so 
Johnny had actually lived with her back in 2009. Oh. And when he was released from jail, his dad made arrangements for him to go stay with her again because he felt like him staying in a place that he knew that he had liked would be comforting to him. a nice tranquil place. Yeah. Yeah. But on this fateful day, neighbors had called 911 because Johnny had come over to their house and the neighbors and violently attacked them. When they called 911, they said Johnny had violently attacked them. And previously they had heard Catherine screaming next door. Oh, no. So when police arrived, they first found Johnny Lewis again. Oh. Dead in the driveway. Oh, shit. With his skull cracked in half. What? Face up. What? I know. Wild, right? Yeah. So they entered the house and they found Catherine dead as well. She had died from blunt force trauma to the head. Oh, damn. They found a hammer (gasps) in the other room that was covered in blood. And in that same room, on the adjoining bathroom, they found her cat, trigger warning, they found her cat also dead in the bathroom with its skull bashed in. Oh, my God. So neighbors are like, we have a double homicide, right? You have two people that are dead. Right. So they're like, we need to go talk to these neighbors because they called in that this guy attacked them, but he's dead in the driveway. So they go over and they talk to the neighbors. So neighbors are Dan Blackburn. Uh, he was a news correspondent. He originally became concerned when he saw Johnny outside their house pacing back and forth on the pavement, wearing nothing but jeans and shoes. That's a little odd. But it's California, you know? Right. Go go shirtless. Listen, if there's one thing that I'm really jealous that men get to do that women can't do, it's go shirtless. Yeah. The envy. Yeah. Is that like penis envy, but like... But they, yes. It's yes. <laughs> a Freudian type thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he said that he was sweating, that his hair was wild. And then he finally made his way up to Dan's house and knocked. And Dan was like, awesome. Can Love I this help for me. You? <laughs> so he opens the door and he says, hi, I'm John. I'm your new neighbor. Oh, and gross. Dan says, good to meet you. And he promptly turns around and walks away. And that's it. Oh. But 30 minutes later, Dan's wife calls for him and is like, come here. Like, you need to, like, come here very quickly. Like, run, 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 run. They look out the window just in time to see Johnny sitting on top of their house painter, who was there painting the outside of their house. fuck? Pummeling him. What? Hitting him in the face over and over again, punching him in the face, blood flying everywhere. Their painter's face is covered in blood. Johnny himself is covered in the painter's blood and blood in general. (laughs) And so Dan runs out there and has to pull Johnny off of the painter who turns around and clocks Dan across the face. Oh, shit. Now, Dan is 70 years old. So Dan loses his balance, falls over. But he said Johnny just continues to stand there in a daze and goes back after the painter Dan stands up, punches him in the face, and he said he doesn't even flinch. Like, it doesn't even register with him that he's been hit. He continues to try and attack them. So Dan picks up a chair and hits him with the chair. (laughs) 
which finally seems to register with Johnny and takes him out. Enough, at least, so Dan and the painter and his wife, Dan's uh-huh. wife, can run back inside, but Johnny's right behind them. Oh, no. So they run back inside, and Johnny sticks his arm through the door. Oh. Like horror movie style. Oh sticks my gosh. his arm through the door, and they have to slam the door on his arm four times before he'll actually retract his arm out the door. They said that he had superhuman strength and seemed, I mean, what I would only describe as, like, possessed, honestly. So they call the police, and as they're calling the police to say, like, we've been attacked, and we also heard our neighbors screaming, like, now we know something's really wrong here. They look out the window and watch Johnny hop the fence. The wood fence. They said to Kathy's house? Yeah, like Spider-Man. Like barely touches it. Just hops over it leapfrog style. I would think this person's like on bath salts or PCP at this point. So that is one of the theories that comes up and we'll talk about that. Hops the fence um, before he disappears over to the other side to Kathy's house. And obviously they're freaked out. But after he hops the fence, that's the last anybody sees of him. Johnny's death originally appeared to be a homicide because his he's laying face down on the driveway with a skull cracked in half. But the investigation gets underway and what they believe after putting things together, what happened is Johnny confronted Catherine or they, they actually think Miss Kathy confronted Johnny. And there is a rumor that floats around between the friends that Johnny may have disabled her fuse box, which started the whole fight. Because oh. he was inclined to doing that kind of thing. And she was like, you can't what do that. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah, you can't disable my electricity. Right, right, right. And he attacked her. See, he attacked her, punched her, and strangled her. And then eventually, there is some conflicts as far as, like, is the blood on the hammer from him bashing her head in with the hammer? Or is it, like, residual? But they do believe that he actually stomped her to <sighs> death. And that's what caused the majority of the trauma to her head. Then he went outside and attacked the neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry. After he killed Miss Kathy, he killed the cat. Then he went outside and attacked the neighbors. Then when he jumped the fence, he either climbed back onto the overhang of the patio or the roof. Mm -hmm. And either jumped or slipped and fell. Oh. Now... Obviously, the internet went wild with this because prior to this, the Florida man who sniffed bath salt or whatever and tried to eat somebody's face Uh had happened. And so everybody was like, bath salts, like has to be bath salts or meth (laughs) or something like that. They were thinking it has to be like something hardcore that makes somebody go freaking bonkers. Right. But autopsies show that he had no drugs and no alcohol in his system. He was sober as sober could be. This obviously blew apart any type of theory about any drug-induced rampage or um, that he that his death could have been caused from an overdose. Maybe he OD'd and fell or something like no. that. Autopsy also showed that he suffered partial strangulation and had fingernail marks on his neck as a result of Kathy fighting him back. Right. Which is how they knew that he attacked her. Yeah, that makes sense. So they uh, ruled his death an accident. They found nothing to indicate that he had planned a suicide. Um, There's no no anything like that. So even if he jumped, 
they don't believe that he intended to die. Yeah. So either he jumped or fell off of the roof or the second story. He died on impact. His skull, again, was split in half. His eye socket was caved in. He had severe damage to his head. The police don't believe there's any reason to think that he was pushed or anything like that. So the family believes, his family believes that his untreated head trauma ultimately led to an undiagnosed psychological disorder Mm -hmm. that prompted all of this to escalate and lead to his sudden violence and his sudden violent death. The Sons of Anarchy creator, again, Chris, Chris, the Sons of Anarchy creator, Kurt Sutter, tweeted after his death, it was a tragic end for an extremely talented guy who unfortunately had lost his way. I wish I could say that I was shocked by the events last night, but I was not. Damn. I'm deeply sorry that an innocent life had to be thrown into his destructive pass path. I'm deeply sorry that an innocent life had to be thrown into his destructive path. Yes, it's a day of mourning, but it's also a day of awareness and gratitude. Sad- sadly, some of us carry the message by dying. Oh, shit. And that is the story of Johnny Lewis. Wow. That's a roller coaster. Was Yeah. Wild, right? Yeah. That is ironic for, for him to be such like a peaceful guy and say, like, I don't want to do anything... Yeah, it's interesting what trauma will bring someone to do. Yeah. Whether it's oh my gosh. physical trauma, emotional trauma. I think when you're dealing with extreme trauma of any type, it changes people. If you hit your head, go get checked out. <laughs> yeah. Don't. For sure. Don't refuse that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's wild to, because I think that kind of violence you you would expect for somebody to snap like that for drugs or something like that. That's right. That's how you know how bad it was that he was capable of becoming that person without any Sober. type of influence. Right. Yeah. And something just snapped. Ooh, weird. That was, yeah, that was intense. Yeah. Okay. Patreons. We have new Patreons. Shout out. In the Murder Lovers Club, we have T. Allen joining us. Hey, T. Hey, thank you so much (laughs) for joining us here. Welcome, mother lover. (laughs) (laughs) Also, do we want to do corrections corners? (laughs) We have a couple of corrections that need to happen. Yeah, we do. First of all, my correction that I've already addressed briefly. Um... The Cape of Good Hope that I cited in the Pirates episode. Pirates episode, I have been made aware. I know some of you have reached out. I am aware that it is not in India, that it is in South Africa. I think where I got confused was the East India Trade Company or something like that. There's a trade that goes through there. Um <laughs> I'm probably burying myself even more, but I could have sworn I read that it was off of India. So I apologize. That is my correction. Not my strong point. So I had I had nothing to correct you. I was like, cool. You're like, yes, great, good. And then Doreen, she's South African, so she. Oh, is she? Yeah, I didn't realize that. So she texts me. She goes, um, that's not. Yeah, I got a few. Oh my bad. A few messages. Um, and then did you? What did I do? You had. Uh, in the Dennis the Menace episode. We should just call this principal's office. <laughs> yes, principal's office. We have a lot of things to say. Uh, we had, you had said that 
our listener Anthea had gotten her letters oh, from a mom's her yes, mom's friend. Yes, I well, yes, I did completely read that wrong, <laughs> and that's yes. my bad. So it wasn't her mother's friend; it was a friend who was renovating a house. While they were renovating, they found these letters that were written to mm-hmm. the previous homeowner. So no relation to the person they were sent to whatsoever. Yeah, um, she said, my mate moved into a new house, and when he refurbished his attic, he found a letter to the previous owner from Dennis. It was written on prison paper. I do have a copy. Yeah, so... <laughs> I think you read mate, and in your brain went mom no, or something. No, in the email, here, have you read the email? No. So the email, it says... He went to school with my friend's mom. Oh. He committed all of his murders in London. He was caught when the body parts blocked the drains. And that's all I had. Oh, no. This is a letter from Dennis that my friend found under the insulation of his attic. So I thought the Your friend... Your brain just merged them together. Yeah, because I thought the friend went to school with the... Fr- I, you know what? Yes. <laughs> we messed up. We done messed up. I messed up. up. <laughs> Quite a detention now. No big deal. Love detention. <laughs> yep. We, we can admit when we're, when we're wrong. We're imperfect. <laughs> so, yeah. This is why we're not trying to get away with any murders. We're just over here telling you about murders. Because we're like, no, we couldn't. I couldn't keep my story straight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's it for this episode. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.